Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And thanks for putting up with us last week, the flu, a different flu, neither of which were covered by the shot this year, caught me, so we weren't able to record. Luckily, we had one in our backlog. Today, though, we are going with a theme. We usually don't do that. I mean, well, we do sometimes, usually around holidays, and I guess, is this a holiday? It is. So before our episode, our next episode would come out, it's Australia Day on January 26th. And with all of the horrific brush fires and things that are happening in Australia, we thought it'd be a good chance to cover Australia. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but when I was in school, the only things we ever learned about Australia were about the wildlife in Australia. We're going to do nothing about the history, the people... Nothing. 100%. I could sing you the kookaburra song, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about the people or history of Australia. The only thing I learned about Australia came from the Simpsons episode, Digest That, and um, Crocodile Dundee and the Crocodile Hunter. So two thirds of what I know about Australia comes from crocodile related movies and TV shows. So from Crocodile Dundee, you learned what a knife was. I did learn what... I also learned that from The Simpsons. I can tell the difference between a knife and a spoon. (laughs) I will say that Crocodile Dundee is one of those movies from my childhood that I only associate positive things with. I really enjoy that movie. And what really sticks out is when the photographer lady tries to take the picture of the uh, Aboriginal man. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you can't do that. And she goes, oh, you're afraid it's going to steal your soul like every ignorant white bitch out there. And he goes, no, the lens cap is on. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get into it in mind, but there is some like actual some stuff about photography that is with some of the Aboriginal tribes. Really? Yeah. So maybe she wasn't as much of an ignorant white bitch? No, she was an ignorant white bitch. She was just (laughs) just like a half informed ignorant white bitch. Are you allowed to say ignorant white bitch? I mean, I'm pretty basic, so I feel like I can appropriate that one. (laughs) All right, I'll allow it. But before we get into it, we are doing our normal work with this. It's, you know, factual and we aren't doing just nice things that happened. In fact, most of history, the stuff that you can learn about is not nice things. So this is not to, you know, disparage anything that's happening in Australia or the Australian people. This is just important things from their history that we're covering. And there are cool people and there are not cool people. But if you are following at all what's happening in Australia, or even if you're not, make sure you're following it and make sure if you have the means, donate something to some group that's helping someone there, whether it's people or animals or whatever, because it's it's not great. Yeah, it's, it's really bad, like historically unprecedentedly bad. Yeah, and people love to say things like, oh, well, they were warned about this. Yeah, it's still global warming. It's not like they can stop global warming single-handedly. Yeah, it's, and you know, it's like, oh, they can, like, Australia is really big, and it's people saying, well, they just need to, like, maintain the brushlands better. You can't. It's too big to maintain, like, to deal with this global warming and, like, the weird weather shit that's been going on. My favorite is, well, they deserve it because they were arsons. I'm sorry, one person setting a fire or however many, because there were people who set fires during this, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean everybody else deserves to lose their property, their lives, whatever. And it doesn't make it less tragic. It just means we need to beat that person to death with sticks or let them hang out in the Australian outback by themselves. Um, What I learned from the Simpsons episode is the traditional penalty is a booting in which they wear a very heavy boot and kick you in the butt. So who's going first this time? Well, I don't remember who went first two weeks ago, but I know our episode last week, the, you know, bonus episode, if you will, I went second. So I'm going to go first this week. Okay. Well, to start mine off, I brought an accessory. 
Ooh. Is that a bo- it's a bottle of wine. It is a bottle of wine. Who's that on the bottle? Her name is Jane Castings, Jane Castings, something like that. This is Australian 19 Crimes wine. Ooh. And on each bottle, they have, I'm showing it to my microphone like you guys can see, they have a different person who was a convict from England who was sent to Australia as part of their settlement program for convicted people in the UK. Now, I did look her up. The basic thing is that her name is Jane, I'm going to go with Castings, Jane Castings, and she went to there because she received stolen property. However, I found a website, thefamilytapestry.blogspot.com, in which case this person claims that she was a member of their husband's family and it wasn't just stolen property, but she was the Fagin of of the UK, like Charles Dickens style. She had like a team of boys who worked for her who ultimately also ended up getting transported. (laughs) And I want that to be the true story. So Jane, here's for you. They mostly have red wines in this. This is their first white. It's a Chardonnay. I don't actually like Chardonnay, but I really don't like red wine. So is this your ASMR wine pouring podcast? Do we need to be whispering? Whisper, whisper, whisper. White noise. Wow. Okay, ASMR makes me feel itchy. (laughs) Itchy. Itchy. It like makes me feel itchy and it makes my spine kind of feel like it's being pulled out of my body. (laughs) I hate it. I hate it so much, especially when they bring in like props, like they are rubbing the top of a hairbrush or something. It makes me so mad. But I got this wine in honor of this episode. So here's to you, Jane Castings. Oh, that doesn't suck. That is not a bad Chardonnay. Yeah, it's not too dry like they often are for me. It's not too sharp. I'm not a wine person. I love wine, but I don't know anything about it. But to me, Chardonnay is always really dry and really sharp. Oh, this has got uh, wonderful oaky notes to it, and I think a hint of a kind of a springtime palette, I believe. I don't think whites can have an oaky palette. I don't know either. Just (laughs) let me... Okay, the people who listen to our history podcast are not going to know anything about wine. Yeah, if you want to listen to a good podcast that also tells you the history of wines, listen to Wine and Crime. (laughs) (laughs) They do a lot of 19 crimes, too, as you might imagine, but... This for a Chardonnay is not bad. I'm a wussy wine drinker. I like Pinot Grigio the best, but I will drink a Riesling or a Moscato. Yeah, I, I like apologize to my wine friends out there. I feel like for her, the ideal wine is just a regular wine that someone has mixed like a packet of grape Kool-Aid into. Everything's better with grape Kool-Aid, even the Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> it eased the burden just a little bit. Oh my God, you're... You're three sips of wine, and you're already laughing about mass murder. I probably did that when we were recording that episode, you, though. You did. I re-listened to it. You absolutely did. Yeah. You're and a though, How crazy was that, that he was, like, friends with Harvey Milk, and he won the Martin Luther King Humanitarian Award? And Yeah, just, like, history is weird, folks. Yeah. Weirder than I would have believed initially. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to the whole nobody is good or evil except for Hitler. Everybody is somewhere in the middle trending towards one side or the yep. other. As they said in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, in my fa- personal favorite song at this moment, nothing is nobody's fault. And that er- is one of my favorites. Everything is everyone's fault. Nothing is ever your fault. They do all of it. <laughs> but the point is, it's always someone else's fault. Was Hitler lawful evil or chaotic evil because he had a lot of rules i would definitely say lawful evil because he was using 
the law and legal structure for bad purposes. D&D podcast, folks, by surprise. <laughs> and then that one dude who like did the twin studies, I lean towards more him being chaotic evil. Um, uh, was it Mengele? Or? Mengele, yeah. yeah. Mengele? No, Mengele. I don't know. I was is... going to say Mendelssohn, but I'm like, nope, that's a composer. <laughs> yep. All right. So what is this about the 19 crimes? First of all, I got my information from the 19 Crimes website, Wikipedia, Sydney Living Museums, National Library of Australia, HistoricUK.com, History.com, Ancestry.com, Vice, and BBC.com. Wow, look at you citing your sources. I don't think I have I have yet to cite a source in this podcast. I do it in case I accidentally quote something a little too much. Oh. Because I try really hard to paraphrase. I try... I'm usually pretty good about not accidentally doing that, but it's a kind of covering my butt. And also they deserve it because I used them. All right. So originally, convicts were sent to America in the early 17th century. So if you committed a crime that was worthy of what they called, really? Dropping shit? Yep. Of what they called transport, they originally sent you to North America. But they realized that might not be the best idea because suddenly there was a revolution. (laughs) And they're like, hey, we're giving you an army. Cool. <laughs> An army of prisoners. Between 50,000 and 120,000 are members of your army. It's like, hmm, they already kind of hate England a little bit, and we're just going to send them to a revolting country. So they needed to find a new place for them. In 1777, or 1770, James Cook claimed the east coast of Australia in the name of Britain. France wanted to expand there, so Britain was like, fuck you, and claimed it on their own. That yeah. was really the only reason. I mean, that's, most of British history is, fuck you, France. Most of the world history seems to be fuck you, France. Dude, France was kind of like the big boy on campus for a long time. They're doing co- they're doing good stuff now, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't have Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, so they're doing pretty good. They almost had Marie Le Pen, but... Who's Marie Le Pen? That's a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, let's not even get into European politics, because I am that kind of nerd. <laughs> so the British stopped sending convicts there in... Or started sending convicts to Australia in 1787. On January 20th, 1788, a group of 11 ships or hulks called the First Fleet landed on Botany Bay and founded Sydney, New South Wales, led by Commodore Arthur, not Arthur, Philip. (laughs) The journey had taken about seven months and the group included two naval ships, three storage ships and six convict transports, with a total of about 1,000 to 1,500 people on board. Now, they weren't all convicts. A lot of them were military members who'd volunteered or even their families, so wives and children. It also read like some of the convicts' wives and children were coming or husbands and children because there were women who were sent on transport, <laughs> just like Miss Jane's Ca- Jane Castings over here. Most were from England and all had been convicted in Great Britain, but some were from Ireland and North America. They went basically and got the ones from the settlements in North America and brought them to Australia because they didn't want them joining the revolution. Their sentences were seven, 14 years or lifelong terms. Though the numbers aren't completely clear, it's about 582 convicted men left Australia, 543 survived. 193 women left, 189 survived. And then their children, they started with 14 kids. 11 of them survived, but 11 more were born. So they left with 14 and came, up, came back with 22, but 11 of them were not from the original journey. So basically they had, like a, they had like a net profit on children. Yes, a net profit on children. Which really, is there anything else we want from children other than a net profit? No, children are only there to enrich you. All in all, uh, 1,420 people left and 1,373 survived, bearing in mind that 11 had been born. The number might be around 100 higher, and about one in seven convicts throughout this entire process were women. So that's a pretty high number considering, like, look look at prisons today and especially look at, like, our death penalty, and we are way more likely to give it to men. 
By the end of the 80-year program, about 160,000 people were sent to Australia, with about 2,000 of them dying for, on the ships from things like cholera and starvation. Star on the ships. On the ships. Mm -hmm. Usually, like naval people are like famously good at being able to. Oh shit, we don't. We need enough food. They're like good at that. Well, I'd be willing to bet that the people who died were generally not the military members. Oh yeah. Each hulk, which is what the ships were called, held about 300 people and were the size of six buses end to end. That's not very big. No, especially an average bus. I think holds like two. 150 people when it's packed, maybe 200. But these people who had to sleep there and defecate there. And I mean, it was probably wider than the buses. or is that Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's still a lot of people to cram into that. They weren't well fed. They had little food and the food that they did have often had mold on it. They also worked for 10 to 12 hours a day because part of their punishment was hard labor. What exactly work could they do on that ship? So, like, like, What work were they doing on these ships? Um, If I understood it, they were doing things like timber work like they had a bunch of like trees that they had to fell like not fell uh but cut up the women did domestic kind of duties they did you know sewing and cooking and all of that they found lots of menial hard labor jobs for the men and menial less hard labor jobs for the women okay and that's kind of how it continued for them even when they were ashore the women were sold off for whatever as domestic servants the men were hard labor Captain James Cook, who I mentioned earlier, had told the crew that Botany Bay was the place to land. Everything there is perfect. That's where we're going to go. He was a lying son of a bitch. It was too shallow to anchor the boats. Oh, no. It was unprotected from attacks. And it was a big fucking forest, basically. <laughs> because he had told them that it was basically this paradise location, they had not brought tools that could actually chop down trees in the way they needed to. So they're just there with no fresh water. No ability to farm, no ability to even build primitive housing. God. So James Cook was not especially popular, and they sent some people to go find another place. They ultimately found Port Jackson, which had the ability to grow crops and had fresh water. James Cook had actually found, found Port Jackson, but he was too lazy to go check it out and just decided to say that this place was fine. What? No, I think maybe he saw it and he's like, okay, I'm going to come back with not prisoners and I'm going to build my own little James Cook paradise Maybe, but I Probably don't think so. Probably not. Now, Commodore Arthur Phillip, he named that area Sydney Cove after Lord Sydney, who was the British Home Secretary, on January 26th, which is now Australia Day. So basically, a bunch of convicted people are brought under and to horrible conditions, and it's celebrated as a national holiday, as the national holiday. Kind of like Thanksgiving. Yay! So, oh, look, we're so similar, it's Australia and America. Us. It's, it's not, not just us. us. By the 1770s, there were 222 crimes in, the, in England that were punishable by death. Most of them were property-based, and they ranged from grand larceny, which is theft of goods worth more than 12 pence, which was 1 20th of a weekly wage for a skilled worker. So it doesn't sound like a lot, and really it wasn't a lot. But we're looking at the Industrial Revolution, and no matter what they told us in school, everybody was fucking poor because of it. The revolution was not financially good for most people. Or cutting down a tree. That was punishable by death. Okay. Or stealing a rabbit from a warren. That was punishable by death. So stay away from Elizabeth Warren's rabbits. She'll cut you. <laughs> and obviously things like rape and murder. The oh, biggies were okay. also punishable by death. <laughs> Although if we're also thinking about how rape convictions still happen to this day, that probably wasn't a number one thing you were convicted of. I mean, he has a brilliant swimming career ahead of him. We can't kill him. 
Well, critics began to consider the death penalty for these things too harsh, so now it was time for the lesser punishment of banishment. In 1788, according to our world in data, the average life expectancy in the UK was 39 years. Not much older than you and me. Wow. So they could expect to live an average of 39 years. The shortest sentence of seven years would be 18% of your life if you lived that long. 14 years was 36% of your life. Now, bear in mind, they were bringing their kids and families with them, too. So this was also a sentence for them. That said, this is in many ways kinder than death. Until you remember that Australia is a terrifying place that people from Britain were not used to living in. It's a place that inspires lists of the 10 most deadly spiders in the country. Not the 10 deadly spiders. The 10 most deadly spiders. Let's think. Yeah, they're going from England, where, like, you might get a cross hedgehog every once in a while... To Australia with crocodiles and snakes and spiders. And echidnas, which are basically big cross hedgehogs. And platypuses. Platypuses are venomous. Oh yeah, they are venomous. They are they are scary. You wanna know how many deadly spiders are in the United States? One. Three. Three three. Three. That is it. The brown recluse, the black widow, and the hobo spider. What? Hobo spider. The hobo spider, yes. There's a hobo spider. Does mm-hmm. he have like a little bindle and does he ride the rails? He does, yes. And yes! And he beans out of a can. Oh my god, I love this spider! You know, I saw a brown Wait, rec- but he's deadly. Does he stab people? He got a little hobo knife? Yes. He hits them over the head with his bindle first. Okay. I saw a brown recluse once. Where? On my school playground in second or third grade. We had just finished learning about them, so I knew what it looked like. And so I went to my teacher and I'm like, there's a brown recluse in the, um, in the vet grate over here. And she didn't believe me. And so I'm assuming everybody died. That seems like the logical thing that have happened. Yep. That, that is exactly what happened. In fairness, the UK does have 12 venomous spiders, none of which are deadly. They can hurt you real bad because zero, zero of them can kill you. So they were not ready to go to a place that had 10 most venomous and deadly spiders. Not to mention all the other animals you mentioned. And then dingoes, and then like really angry koalas, and everything. Like, this is a scary place, guys. We are impressed by your ability to survive just going outside. Oh my god, and those like giant spiders that seem to take up like people's whole doorways. But those are like harmless. I know, but they're proof that evil exists. I did remember something really cool. There's, I think it's a type of orb weaver spider that when you see one, you're supposed to catch it. There's donation places you can bring them to because that's the only way they can. Uh, develop anti-venom for it so like people are very careful when they find these spiders they catch them so that if someone else gets bitten later on they have a good supply of anti-venom for these spider bites oh that's cool yeah so commodore philip the guy who was in charge of all of this he actually doesn't sound like a really bad dude like he was really tough but he was fair he wasn't a sadist he was actually there like he believed in what they were doing unlike the volunteer military men who went to be the guards Their favorite pastime was getting out the cat of nine tails for anything that pissed them off and doing a hundred lashes. One hundred. One hundred. They start bleeding around five. By the time they got to a hundred, if they could stand up, the blood was flowing so heavily that their boots would squish. Oh. Yeah, and that is if they could stand up at the end, which usually you could not. I mean, if you were conscious to begin with, you're not going to be able to get up because you have no skin left on your back. Escape attempts were met with another transport to the uh, tiny Norfolk Island, which was 600 miles east of Australia, treated even worse there. The only way they could escape from Norfolk Island, because there were escapes that were successful from the Australian parts, was a game. In this game, three prisoners would conspire together. They'd draw straws. The one with the shortest straw would be murdered by the other two prisoners in the most humane way they could do. Then they'd have to bring in a judge from the mainland or from from the UK 
And then one of the guys would pose as the murderer. The other guy would pose as the witness. So the one guy got to escape by death. The other guy would get to escape by, you know, possibly hanging, possibly just being brought somewhere else for the rest of his sentence. That was the way to escape from Norfolk Island. Oh, God. Was literally to murder one of your friends. On top of that, though, the colonies were still rife with rebellious offenders. People were not pleased about having to live this way. So if you committed another crime while you were there, but it wasn't one bad enough to get you sent to Norfolk, you were sent to a prison made out of an old or unseaworthy ship ship once the jails on the land were full. They had one called the Anson, which housed only new female prisoners. And when they arrived, they were housed there for six months, so they couldn't get any bad ideas from the people who'd been there for a while or hook up with the men. When they were sent to the hiring depots after the six months, they were assigned as domestic servants to the settlers. So they had to go basically be house slaves. Over 4,000 women spent time there between 1844 and 1850. And while they were even in jail, they worked at those domestic tasks. So sewing, cooking, etc. At least one of these hulks, the prison hulks, had a code of silence. You couldn't talk. And you were living there. This was where you were because these people were, had done something so bad they weren't allowed to leave for labor positions. Who would have a code of silence? That's just awful. Yeah. Not a great situation for these people. This is like that one fourth grade like substitute I had that demanded absolute silence at all times. Oh, I had one in fifth grade who said, you need to sit down and shut up for today because I don't like kids. So teacher. Great, great profession for that person. She was not a teacher. And this was when you only had to have a high school diploma and pass a background check to be a substitute teacher. That was when I went home and I told my mom, my mom goes, at least I like kids. And she signed up to become a substitute. Now she's a teacher because she found out she was good at it. Eventually, the Inspector General of Penal Establishments in Victoria, yes, laugh at penal, I can tell you what to, John <laughs> <Penal>. Price, was, <laughs> Price. John Price was murdered by the prisoners. <laughs> and that led to an investigation of the Hulk prison system, which was actually ultimately disbanded. So the people who murdered him were hanged, but it was enough to be able to go, wait a second, something's fucked up here. The whole system in no small part was a direct result of the Industrial Revolution, which had increased poverty among people, no matter what our history classes told us. And where they were like, yeah, some people didn't do so great, but overall it led to increased prosperity and blah, blah, blah because of machinery. Not ever mentioning that most people were not trained to use this machinery mm -hmm. and the things they used to do by hand were now done by machines. So they couldn't afford to, you know, eat. Yeah. So a lot of people led to petty crime. And I do mean petty crime. That is what they were sent to Australia for. Petty crime. Because the prison started to overflow. You are arrested for every little thing you did. Then they ran out of space. And while the bigger crimes like rape and murder were generally punishable, they also sent some of them to the colonies as well. The last ship arrived in Australia on January 10th, 1868. Some of the settlements became free colonies, while others simply freed the people who were sentenced to hard labor and they joined society as free men. Didn't go so hot like a John Valjean situation mm -hmm. where, yes, you're free, but you're not really free. You've got your yellow ticket. It was the same situation for them. And for generations, being related to them was a source of shame, but it's not anymore. It's actually like people are kind of proud of it. But let's get to what you're really f here for. Why would you be sent to the settlements? Please tell me why were people sent to these settlements? Now, according to 19 Crimes, the wine that I'm currently drinking. Is the wine speaking to you? It is. It's telling me things. The things you get sent to the settlements for. Grand larceny, which was theft above the value of one shilling. Okay. Petty larceny. Theft under one shilling. So why do they have the why do they have to differentiate between ugh, why do they have to differentiate between the two? For sending people to this new place, they probably didn't need to. But when they were just doing domestic 
Uh, penalties, they probably did. Wait, so if you stole something worth exactly one shilling, were you in the clear? Because they only <laughs> went above and under. So it's like, it's like, um, it's like, you're under arrest. Oh, I just took a single shilling, officer. He's like, ah, good day, sir. Well played. Hashtag loopholes. Loopholes. Buying or receiving stolen goods, jewels, and plates. Stealing lead, iron, or copper, or the buying or receiving thereof. Impersonating an Egyptian. So wait, so if I were to go there and um, walk like an Egyptian, as the Bengals told me to, Free I would trip have been to Australia. Oh damn! Stealing from furnished lodgings. So like basically Ross Geller every at every hotel. Yes. Setting fire to Underwood. Poor Carrie. <laughs> it is very illegal to set fire to Carrie Underwood, even if you might want to after watching her and How I Met Your Mother. Ugh. Stealing letters, advancing the postage, and secreting the money. I don't know what any of that means except for stealing letters. I don't know either, but my guess is that mail involved actual money attached to the letters at that point. But basically you take the money that has to do with postage. Assault with intent to rob. It doesn't just say assault anywhere on this list. So it's assault, but only if you're going to rob them. Stealing fish from a pond or river. So Fishing. Fishing. I mean, do, I, do people own the ponds and rivers? I guess. Can you really own the river? Just around the river bend. That's I look tr- once more. Oh, Pocahontas, you were so wise. <laughs> stealing roots, trees, or plants, or destroying them. Can you steal a tree? Well, I guess if you chop it down and run off with it, but like... Or if you dig it up. Dig it up and like... I mean, if Shakespeare can steal a whole theater, you can steal a tree. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those piracy commercials that gone horribly wrong. Bigamy. Assaulting, cutting, or burning clothes. So if that pair of trousers just walking down the street and you start punching it. What? So assaulting clothes? Like, oh my god. Are you trying to rob these pants? Counterfeiting the copper coin. Clandestine marriage. Clandestine marriage. Getting married in secret. Oh, I thought it was like marriage between two spies. Possibly that too. Stealing a shroud out of a grave. I mean... Just the shroud? Just the shroud. Go for the rings, man. The rings! Watermen carrying too many passengers on the Thames, if any drowned. Okay. (laughs) Incorrigible rogues who broke out of prison and persons reprieved from capital punishment. Okay, so yeah, it sounds a little confusing, but basically, if you were still in prison, but you got uh, your sentence commuted to life, you were sent to these instead. Okay. And imbuing naval stores, in certain cases. What? Imbuling naval stores. Imbuling naval stores? Yeah. I'm guessing it means stealing from? Yeah, maybe embezzling? Like, oh, there's naval stores. I need that cannonball. Now, a couple of other crimes I found listed on Ancestry.com were prostitution and white-collar crimes like forgery and embezzlement. And then another website, convictrecords.com.au had a shit ton of other crimes, but they could also... My guess is that these 19 crimes were kind of pulled out of the list. Yep. Because it was a long fucking list. And I find it hard to believe that only 19 crimes could get you sent to Australia. I think... I mean, you were talking about the 222, like, things that get you sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, like, 220 of those ended up being commuted to Australia. Yeah. Transported. Let's take a look at a few of the actual criminals. All right. 
So we had John O'Reilly. John O'Reilly was the member of the Irish independence movement. I think 62 of them were brought in total just for being members of the movement. He was charged with treason. He did not handle this whole situation well, became severely depressed, even attempted suicide. He ended up escaping because he talked to a local priest about getting him a rowboat. So he got hold of a rowboat. He talked his way out of the jail, including uh, seducing the warden's daughter. He sailed out on his rowboat, found an American whaling vessel, talked his way on board, ended up in America where he became the editor of a Boston newspaper. (laughs) And he was also part of the Catalpa rescue, which I would love to talk to, but it's a whole episode in and of itself. But it was like an Ocean's Eleven style heist to get six other guys out of jail, orchestrated almost entirely by Americans. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, maybe another episode, but it's too long for this. Then we have Esther Abraham, who was one of only a thousand Jewish convicts. She stole a roll of lace, and that was enough to get her sent to Australia for 7, 14, or 21 years. Oh, or I mean, cool. 7, 14, or life. While on her ship, she met a guy named George Johnston, who was a South Wales Marine, and they started having an affair. And it kept going. They had seven kids together. And because of his military title, he actually got a big piece of land, and she got to live very happily in Australia. Good for you, Esther. He also ultimately led the Rum Rebellion, which was the only successful armed takeover of the Australian government. Good for you, George. And then finally, like a power couple right there. I know. And oh, she inherited the land, of course. Her son tried to have her ruled insane so he could get the land from her. She was not. Oh, no. Uh, Esther will come after you. Yeah, Esther will cut a bitch. And then Charlotte Badger. Charlotte Badger is really fucking cool. I could do another whole episode on her. She was sent because she stole several guineas and a silk handkerchief to an a- to in an attempt to support her family at the age of 18. She became Australia's first female pirate. Yes! She organized a mutiny on her ship with her first, you know, first pirate mate, Catherine Haggerty. Again, she could be a whole other episode. She was also one of the first white women to settle in New Zealand, learned to speak Maori fluently, and could do some basic communication in Tongan. That's awesome! Yeah, she was super smart and she knew what the fuck she was doing. So she just became a pirate. I mean, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. It's like, yo-ho, yo-ho, it's a pirate's life for me. About 20% of modern Australians are descendants of convicts. This includes former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, whose great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was sentenced to hanging at the age of 11 because of robbery. Okay, what did she do? Did she, like, take someone's dolly on the playground? My guess is that it was just a, we can't have any food, so I'm going to go steal some fucking bread or something. So she was sentenced to hang at 11. It was commuted to this transport to Australia. And like I mentioned, the entire thing was ultimately shameful or to the people who were descendants, but now it's kind of a point of pride. People love to say that I'm a descendant of one of the convicts. It's awesome. So that is the convict transport to Australia. So it's like the convicts, they're like they're like the daughters of the American Revolution, but actually fun because those are some joyless women. Yeah, I would love to get into more of their stories later, but this was just a very brief and basic overview. I'm surprised by how little you interrupted me during this. It was exciting. And plus, I mean, the, talking about those crimes is cool. And again, there was a pirate, a pirate, a woman pirate. Who was the, like, went to New Zealand. Yeah, maybe we should do a piracy episode at some point. We should. We'll talk about pirates and we'll talk about Napster. All right, you understand that if you do the piracy episode, you are not allowed to cite your sources. <laughs> it's, you can't. I got all of it from Napster. Is Napster even still a thing? Yeah. What? Who? Yeah. Why? You have to pay for it now. Then why? I don't know. All right, so some questions for you. Will this be on the test? Ooh. Let me, please ask, ask these questions, People as young as 11 were sentenced to this. Yes, they'll be on the test because kids need role models. 
Just like women need role models. We're, go- we're looking back at you, Charlotte Badger. And Esther. Don't and forget Esther. Esther. Crimes as petty as stealing one shilling or less could result in you having to live in Australia forever. Yes. The initial port of transport was North America, but was stopped by the revolution. I'm going to say no, because we can't have people thinking that our ancestors were criminals. We need to make fun of Australia for this. We cannot simply have it be that the Americans were this. Yeah, just like none of our none of our ancestors were people who hanged people during the witch trials or killed Native Americans as part of Thanksgiving. None of that happened. Or, or heaven forbid, they own slaves. Given the short life, short life expectancy, this may as well have been a life sentence, even if it was seven years. No, that won't be on the test because it's like it's like it's like oh yeah, people only lived to be thirty nine back then. It's like kind of glance glaze over that. And Australia's first female pirate became that thanks to trying to support her family. Yes, because everybody loves Les Mis and an underdog, and she was just trying to do the right thing, and she became a pirate, and that's badass. All right, so that is the Australian convict transport. That was really cool. Yeah. It's like, my family came here because I think they were too short for Sweden. I have no idea how my family ended up here other than my great-grandmother, who's, you know, got married and then moved here so that her husband could work in Boston. So yeah, I'm only a few generations in. You know, before that, we were Canadians. Ooh. <gasps> but before so, that, we were very Scottish. Maybe maybe they were the transported criminals in Canada. Just no one talks about it. The transported Canadian criminals of the early 1900s? Yeah. Not a thing. I'm pretty sure it was a thing. You just Not ta- a thing. Okay, fine. So uh, I'm going to talk about something else. Okay. Oh, it's also about Australia. Yes. And it's about one of your favorite things. Pop rocks. Yeah, actually, it's <laughs> it's one of Australia's most famous landmarks. They have a landmark made of pop rocks? No, it's Uluru slash Ayers Rock. I don't know what that is. It doesn't sound like a pop rock. You famously hate outdoorsy things. Yes. And you also famously hate the Grand Canyon. Yes. I feel like you'd also hate this. I hate anything that involves naturally formed land masses. Well, this is a sandstone monolith that's just about smack dab in the middle of Australia. Okay, in my head, it's the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Is that correct? No, it's a monolith. So there are no monkeys around it with, like, sticks hitting drums? Nothing. Well, then what's the point? It is huge. It is gorgeous. It's this big piece of sandstone. It's got all these old caves and indentations on it. It's a colossal rock sitting in the middle of this flat plain, and it looks gorgeous. It changes color in the sunlight, on the seasons. It's really cool. Okay, it's, that does sound kind of cool. Yeah, it is 1,412 feet tall. Most of the rock is actually underground. Does has, that height include the rock underground? No, that's just what's above the ground. And it has a 5.8 mile circumference, so it's pretty big around. Okay. Uh, it's b- between five and 600 million years old. Big piece of sandstone. It's ancient. It's in the middle of Australia. And it is also sacred and culturally important site to the Anguru people. Uh, sorry, Anangu people. The uh, It's an, one of the aboriginal groups of the region. And it's inhabited by the, I am going to ma- mangle this and I am very sorry, the Pitjantjatjara, which is a subgroup of the Anangu people. According to the mythology, Uluru was created around the beginning of the world because the world was once a completely featureless space until creator beings in the forms of people, plants, and animals traveled across the land, creating and destroying, and basically made the landscape we know today. I love everything about that. The idea that creator beings could also be people and animals. I really like Mm -hmm. that. And the land around- I mean, animals and plants, not people, because people always get the credit. 
And, of course, the land around Uluru is still inhabited by dozens of these creator spirits. I like this. They are still there. This is a very important cultural site. And also, I'll point this out. It is also one of the longest continually inhabited places on the planet. There is evidence of the Anguru being there for about 30,000 years. Same culture, same practices, 30,000 years. Of course, Uluru was formed during these creation times. I saw a couple of different, like, varying myths about this. I'm not sure which one's the correct one, and which one is just from one of the various old white people t- making up bullshit. Uluru- We're really good about making up bullshit about other cultures. Oh my god, yeah. Uluru was formed during these creation times by two boys playing in the mud after a rain, two of these creator beings, and it created this big rock, or... Two different tribes of creator beings were at war over a beautiful lizard woman, and the earth rose up in protest. A beautiful lizard woman. Beautiful lizard woman. So not related to Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Nope. And probably not a furry. We have an unusual visitor. We usually get one of the boys. We got Zumbi, and she's just running around in circles. Yep. I tried to pick her up, and she looked like I was going to hurt her. She heard me talk about beautiful lizard women, and she just got out of here. (laughs) This is another dubious source, but the gullies in Uluru were formed by Kunaya, the Woma Python, fighting Liro, the poisonous snake. I love everything about this. They have lived there for 30,000 years. Then Europeans came. Ugh. Yep. And the first European to see uh, Uluru was a man named Ernest Giles. He just saw it from a distance and named the rock formations in this area uh, Mount Olga and the Olga Mountains. So that's just called it that. We don't know why he named it after Olga. It's just he did. This is in 1872. Then in 1873, William Goss actually went and explored the area further. And he named it Ayers Rock after Chief Secretary of Southern Australia, Sir Henry Ayers. He is such a brown noser. Like, it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it's like they named Sydney after somebody important in the UK. That's like, oh, my boss is going to love that I named a rock after him. Uh, Jamestown. Ayers never saw Ayers Rock. What is Plymouth named after? Probably Plymouth, England. Is there a Plymouth in England? I'm sure there is. Or is it like Sir Geoffrey Plymouth? Yeah, Sir Geoffrey Plymouth, inventor inventor of the Oldsmobile. (laughs) Inventor of rocks. Yep. It's also uh, his, William Ghost's second in charge, Edwin Berry, was the probably the first white man to ever climb Ayers Rock, which we'll get into that later too. Then like colonization happened like in earnest at this time. It was not good for the Anangu people. It was all the usual stuff we've come to be ashamed of about uh, European colonization. Very similar to what happened in large chunks of Africa or in uh, Southeast Asia and, you know, here in America. What? Yeah. We've always been perfect. So there was all of that rape, theft, murder, de facto slavery, forced relocation, children taken away to re-educate them in European values. We haven't even talked about re-education yet. Mass poisonings. We did that. Yeah, like they would be given flour laced with arsenic to kill them, much like rats. Um, And of course, they still have modern problems that minorities have, much as like racism, segregation, and generational poverty Mm -hmm. are still a part of modern Aboriginal experience in Australia. But again, much like here in America, don't throw too much shade. We're just as bad. Yep. 
the Native Americans here still not treated great, and we don't go over that enough. Yeah, just like that woman who was had her hair searched at the airport, which happens. I've had my hair searched, um, although I have a theory about why they do it to people. And the TSA agent grabbed her braids and flicked them and said, giddy up. And I'm like, would you have done that to a white lady with braids? No, they would not. Mm-mm. So actually, the uh, Aborigines were not granted Australian citizenship, voting rights, or even counted in censuses until 1967. Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. And of course, in 1920, the region around what would now be Uluru, and now is the Uluru Katajuta National Park, was declared an Aboriginal reserve. Mm-hmm. Basically, they were all moved there to protect them from white settlers who would just shoot them, shoot them on sight. Mm-hmm. So it was, they were moved, all moved there. However, then tourism started in the 19, in the 1930s. The first tourists came out there before there were even roads. Uh-huh. So these were just people like traveling for days on horseback to see this big rock they'd heard about. And it was the first tourists. And then in the 1940s, tourism and white settlement were promoted by the government to help the Aborigines. And dirt roads were constructed in 1948 around the area for mining and like, you know, sheep and cattle raising purposes. In 1950, it was declared a national park. And the first tours were started by people. Um, actually, a school teacher from Sydney decided to lead like a class trip out there and decided, oh, my God, this could be a tourist gold mine. Mm-hmm. So he started offering tours in 1955. It was literally just people coming, camping in tents, and they had to bring in carts full of water because they didn't have water. Yeah. And in 1958, permanent accommodations finally popped up. There was an airstrip so you could fly in and fly out of the area and not have to go on a weeks-long journey across dirt roads and, like, potentially hazardous conditions to see this. During this time... The Nangu were discouraged from coming to the park, but that didn't really stop them. They would still continue to hunt, visit their kin, and participate in ceremonies and these sites. So even this would though, be kind of the equivalent of us going to a church and saying, we're making this a tourist attraction now, fuck you. I think probably most accurate would be talking about like Mount Rushmore, which was part of a sacred range to the Sioux. But we decided we need to carve some presidents' faces into it and kind of, they're kind of discouraged from like being around that area. Yeah, and they've been talking for years about doing it with the Native American figure. I can't remember which one. Uh, Crazy Horse. They're still constructing that. Yeah, and at the same time, though, I'm like, if we're are we doing that to another piece of their land? Have we really talked to them about it? Nope. Actually, there are some divisions on it. Kind of like there's a lot of debate about the Martin Luther King thing that was built in D.C. Did I take you there when we went to D.C.? No, you didn't. Yeah, it's this statue. I'll show it to you next time we go to D.C. But there's a lot of debate about whether or not it was done well, especially because it's made out of pure white rock. Oh. Yeah. So uh, in 1964, a bunch of the Anangu came back to live or in the area around Uluru. But because a subsidy for grazing had ended and they weren't being like paid for grazing anymore. So they all came back and the tour operators raised a stink because suddenly the natives were living around the bread and butter. And a settlement was made elsewhere for them to encourage them to not be around that park jesus but meanwhile in 1966 200 garinji another aboriginal group from the northern territory went on strike at wave hill station and this kind of like was a watershed moment and kind of hardly really the australian civil rights movement kind of started with this and it led to portions of their land being returned to them and a 1974 legislation that allowed indigenous people to claim land title if they could prove a traditional re- relationship with the country. Okay. So, yay. This also coincided with the um, liberals taking power in Australian go- government. Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, Australia is on fire right now. 
mostly because of the conservative government in charge of Australia. The conservative government caused all global warming. Yep. Yeah, well, they really did. Yeah. Like, it's it started as a joke, and then I realized it was true. Yeah. However, Uluru was a national park and was initially omitted from this because it was no longer, like, the Queen's land, so they couldn't really do it. It's like, no, it's a park. It's This is not covered by it, so we can't give you back this land. It wasn't until 1985 that they were finally able to claim ownership of the park, but it came with some conditions. Uh-huh. Of course it did. They had to lease the park back to the Parks Australia for 99 years, and they had to do joint management of the park. So basically, it was like the government took their house and then was like, oh, I guess you can have it back, but we have to share it now. Like the yeah. world's worst roommates. Mm-hmm. Great. And it's, for a long time, it was they, they have not been traditionally great roommates either. We're going to get into that too. It has been added to the UNESCO World Heritage Sites list. Yep. And um, side note, you know that whole uh, dingoes ate my baby thing? Yes, I do. Uh, that took place in the park around Uluru. That whole story is bananas. Yeah, so the tragic death of two-month-old Azaria Chamberlain took place there. It is a wild roller coaster of a case. Uh-huh. Like, back and forth, like, false imprisonment, and it's still controversial. There are people in Australia to this day who will fight you about whether she was guilty or innocent. Well, I feel like it was my favorite murder where somebody wrote in about it and just said, my dad was part of that and what you've been told is a lie. Yeah, you should absolutely check this out, form your own opinions, even though it's, it is, it is nuts, like, on every level. And we probably shouldn't be laughing about Dingo's Ate My Baby, Seinfeld. Um, Oz from Buffy. I have, I do have a sweatshirt that says Dingo's Ate My Baby from it Buffy the Vampire the Slayer. softest hoodie. And it's like, I, it's like, I, I heard, finally I learned about all of this stuff. It's like, shit, I can't wear that hoodie anymore. A Dingo Ate My Baby. Yeah. Seinfeld, man. Seinfeld didn't age well. It really hasn't. Like, neither did Friends, though, so we can't really, we can't really talk. No. No, it didn't. And not, not just because of, like, the no cell phones thing. And because not of... because of Ross Geller by himself, anyway. Okay, nobody likes Ross. Ross is, Ross is the part of the show that has aged the least well, because he is such an abusive prick. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of the, the gay jokes about Chandler haven't aged well and stuff like that, but Ross Geller, more than anything on that show, has not aged well, because yeah. you start to realize as you get older, in the Me Too era, and in the era where we see what abuse is... Ooh. Ross Geller was an abusive piece of shit. That's not love, kids, and neither is Edward Cullen. No. No, it is not. So, let's talk about the modern park and what you can do there now. Okay. So, about, I'm uh, sorry, 250,000 people visit there every year. Uh-huh. It is a big attraction. The joint management, though, has set up trails, roads, and viewing areas that don't really interfere with a lot of the sacred sites and important cultural parts of it. I've been to places like that. It's very cool. Yeah. There are even areas where they don't allow photography of the site as like a out of respect of their traditions. Yeah. So, sorry, Instagram life. Uh, they do it anyway. Haven't you seen the shit that they do? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't really mind them going into the nuclear areas because they're making a well-informed choice about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But the sacred areas are climbing onto botanical gardens and endangered plants. Yeah. No, you deserve to get kicked in the whatever for that. Yeah. There's uh, spots where you can view the petroglyphs, uh, the pools of water around it, the uh, various streams, rocks, all that stuff. It's It's gorgeous. I'm, it's like, I'm going to show you a picture of this when we're done, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I guarantee you've seen Uluru. <laughs> but will I think it's Red Rock Park? You probably will. It's like, that's a state park, not a national park. And this was national park trivia, and you killed our score, and I will forever be ashamed of you. I love you. You're pretty. 
Please stop staring at me. <laughs> so, but, ready for the butt? I'm always ready for the butt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, climbing. White people love to climb on rocks. Yeah, we also love to push them over. Yep. However, uh, the Anangu do not like people climbing on one of their holy sites. Yeah, guys, that'd be like us climbing on that giant Jesus in Brazil. Yeah. It's like, if you were free climbing, would you free climb a Jesus? No. I would. I mean, yeah, I probably would. That'd be badass. <laughs> yeah, again, but we're also the whitest white people, and we want to climb that shit. We also wouldn't do it because it's disrespectful. Wanting yep. to and doing it are not the same thing. So in 1983, when they were like doing the early steps of this transfer of ownership, the prime minister promised that there would be no more climbing. They did not deliver on that promise. No. The best they could do was a sign asking you not to climb on it. Please don't climb this. We do not like it. Yep. So there were still hundreds of thousands of people climbing it every year. And it's not an easy climb. It's a, it takes about an hour. It's a really steep path. It's got a chain, hand chain along it to help you up. Uh, so if they don't want people climbing, why didn't they take down the goddamn hand chain? Because 35 people died climbing it. So let them die. They're not supposed to be climbing. And they'd also close it during high winds because you could get blown off of it. So let them die. They're not supposed to do it. But finally, are you ready for some good news? Like one of the few pieces of good news to ever involve, uh, like you know, European colonists and a and like the Aboriginal people. Sure. In October 2019, climbing was finally banned. Finally. There is a $630 fine and possible jail time if you climb it now. That's it. That's it. Ugh. I mean, it's a that's enough. Is it? Yeah. Think about all the Instagrammers that that wouldn't deter. It's also really fucking obvious if you're climbing it, too. So, uh, also, as a side note, uh, in 2019, 1,500 hectares um, of this park were burned in the in brush fire. Ugh. So, even this giant, beautiful area, not immune to brush fire. Yeah, guys, what, like, you'll find something that matters to you that has been burned down. So if the koalas and echidnas don't matter to you, if the houses don't matter to you, maybe the idea of religious sites will matter. Yeah. And again, it's gorgeous. It is Grand Canyon beautiful. It is amazing. I would love to go out there. But, oh, another side note, it's in a really remote area, too. It's in the middle of Australia. So not a high priority for the for the uh, firefighters. No, not a high priority. I had some notes about the site. Uh, did I, not, I didn't take those. I didn't write those down. No. Use your remembering. Okay. So the nearest city is Alice Springs. It's about a six and a half hour drive from Alice Springs to here. And Alice Springs isn't that big of a town. Alice Springs is about the size of Junction City, Kansas. It has a population of 25,000 people. It is one-sixth the population of Lenexa. Okay. It's tiny. We're in a tiny. We're in like a tiny suburb. It's tinier. Okay. And this is the nearest city. And it's Austin, six and a half miles. Just triangulated our location. Oh no! They'll find us. Honestly, our house is really noticeable. So. Yeah, I mean, they've probably seen our house. Yeah. It's a it's a landmark here. It is. It, it, oh my god! It actually is. Yeah. So. Don't go don't, into I'm it. I'm not going to go into it because all five people who listen to us probably already know where you live. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but anyway, it's tiny town. Six and a half hours away. There are some, like, accommodations near the park, but it's still a remote, remote area. So also, if you have a friend who's gone to Australia, they probably haven't gone out to Ayers Rock or U- Uluru. They probably haven't gone to the Great Barrier Reef if they've gone to Sydney, because those three things are very far apart. Yeah, and that's another thing. We learned about things like the Great Barrier Reef. We learned a little bit about Sydney in school, like the Opera House, but they kind of put it in my brain that they were all in the same place. No. They, 
Australia, it's... Australia's ru- bigger than it looks. Yeah, it's roughly the size of the continental United States. Although, did you know that on the standard map, the United States is actually made to be bigger? Yeah, it's the uh, Mercator projection. Yeah, it's made... We are made to look a lot bigger than we are. There's a particular map that actually does everything to the correct scale, and it is so different. It's really weird seeing, just like... I actually have that map somewhere in our house. Yeah, Greenland's not that big. No, and we're not that big. Nope. So I'm uh, looking up Ayer's rock to show her a picture of it. It's just so you can hear her say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, it's, a, or it's Uluru, rock. as it is more properly known. I keep calling it Ayer's rock because I lived with Ayer's rock for, like, most of my life. Nope. Maybe I'll find a better picture. This? Nope. Seriously, you've never seen this before? No. You've never seen, like, one of the, like, most beautiful things in nature? No. Wow. Okay. Again. Kookaburra sits on the old gum tree. You call that a knife? This is a knife. That is most of my education. Yeah, that's... I think this is also a good time for us to apologize to Australia about the American education system and what it has done to their country yeah, in our minds. Yeah, we... In our minds, you have one city, and it is Sydney, and it has an Austra, it has an Austra house. An, an opera, opera house. house. And then you're nothing else but koala bears and kookaburras and kangaroos and emus. And crocodiles. Yeah. It's like we know about the Sydney Opera House, Uluru, and the wildlife. Yeah, that's it. And we didn't go into much in-depth other than the wildlife. Yeah, that's all we ever went into. And I think it has been a detriment, especially now that there are these brush fires, brush fires ravaging your country. It's like yeah, the only you- concerns we've heard about have been like the loss of habitat to the koalas. Nothing about the loss of human life, property, livelihood that have been a result of these fires. Yeah, although you guys are being really smart and focusing on the animals because you obviously know that that's all we've all learned about. So that's what we are, you know, attuned to caring about. But I promise you, we do care about the other stuff. It's just much more theoretical and vaporous to us because we didn't learn about it. Yeah. But yeah, the whole situation is very sad. Oh my god, I completely forgot to ask you questions. The entire premise of this podcast... I'm a smart man. They let me drive cars. For professionally for a while. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, will the fact that Ayer's Rock is now called Uluru be on the test? No. Will uh, the fact that Uluru is nowhere near Sydney be on the test? Yes. Or at least it'll be mentioned in class, but it won't really sink in. Will the fact that Australia treated their indigenous people poorly be on the test? It depends on the grade level for that one. Will the fact that America treated their indigenous people just as poorly be on the test? After elementary school, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, how about the fact that the, the aboriginals couldn't vote until 1967? Not with the amount of depth we go into stuff here, yeah. but if, they're, if you're taking an Australia-heavy like, class, then yes. Okay, and in hindsight, was Seinfeld kind of wrong with the entire Dingo's Ate My Baby Bunch line? And it wasn't really, was it really that funny? It actually kind of was. Yeah. I remember that episode. Yeah. And finally, it was um, how to get somebody to leave you alone on a subway. Yep. And uh, finally, the fact that will the fact that Uluru is made of sandstone be on this test? Yeah. Okay. Facts. Facts. Oh, also another fact. I heard this repeated a few times about it. That Uluru is the largest rock is patently wrong. There's another rock also in Australia that is more than three times its size. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes. (laughs) Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He is just lounging in Australia right now, waiting to be awakened from his slumber. (laughs) And when he does, the time of Ragnarok will be upon us. (laughs) So today we talked at length about Australia because of all the shit that's happening there. And because Australia Day is coming up before our next episodes, that is on January 26th. It's Sunday. Please, as you're following things, if you have the means and you see a 
fund you want to donate to that will help the Australian situation, please do that. Whether it's animals or firefighters. And do you see that Lizzo, like during her tour down there, took time to go work at food banks and stuff? We don't deserve Lizzo. No, we really don't deserve Lizzo. Okay. Lizzo, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Christy Teigen. Um, Chrissy. Chrissy Teigen are all like, you know, it's the trolley problem, but it's the three of them. Do you pull the lever? That doesn't make any sense. What? I just love all of them. I don't know. So basically you're asking me to pull the lever to decide which one I hit? Yeah. I'm not doing that. Me neither. It's like that trolley can come at me. <laughs> it's like all three of them on one track and... You know, a baby on the other one. That's even meaner. Yeah. Because I mean, all of them would tell me to hit them and it just makes it hard. I know. I couldn't do it. It's like, I'm sorry. It's like, that baby hasn't given us any Tonys yet. <laughs> but it might. It, mi- it might. It might. Oh my God. I might have, oh, but I might have killed the next Android Weber, which means that's mi- okay. Yeah. It's like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have still not recovered from the trauma of watching cats. It still comes up weirdly often in our conversation. I was like, I can't. It is in there. I can't watch movies anymore because as I'm watching movies, I just see the parallels to cats. McCavity. 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 Sadly, they were not nominated for any Oscars. But I'm they, they have to televise the Razzies this year, don't they? I, I want to see Taylor Swift accept a Razzie. I think she would. She absolutely would. I I feel like she's not taking herself as seriously as she used to. Yeah. I think she's kind of figured out that that wasn't going over well. All right. So we're nearing the end here. We're actually going to be recording another episode later today because Austin has to leave town. Yeah. That was a little enthusiastic for the reason you have to leave town. Oh, that's true. I'm, I, I'm getting out of um, frozen, frozen Kansas and going to Arizona for a couple of days. So I'm, I am looking forward to parts mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, that's true. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends that you enjoy. What is she doing? I don't know. She's our, sna- our snake just put the end of her tail just straight up in the air and is now dragging it across the wall. <laughs> anyway, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. You can also find us on social media. Do you remember what our social medias are, Austin? Uh, I remember uh, Twitter is on the test pod. Yes. And Instagram is on the test pod. Yes. And Facebook, we are, ooh, let me think, on the test pod. And what's our website? On the test pod.com. Yeah, come follow us, engage with us. If you have suggestions for future episodes, let us know. We are really growing a community out there, but so far you guys are pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, I feel like we need to start saying very wrong things so the um, people on the internet um, actually us and tell us that we're wrong. Yeah, we need to, we should start, we start making shit up so we get mansplained too. There's nothing I love more than mansplaining. Here, um, just wait, quick. Say a fact about Star Wars right now and see how many mansplains we get. It was definitely a good thing that that rose was in the last few movies. Good job. We are <laughs> going to get so many comments now. Thank you. Now that... I did not mean that as an actually wrong thing. I meant that as something to cause me some internet controversy. Yep. Because that's not a wrong thing. No. We're going to cause all the controversy. Controversy. All right. Anything else you need to add today? I don't think so. What's something you learned? What's something I learned? Apparently, stealing over a shilling and under a shilling could get you sent to Australia, but nothing about stealing exactly a shilling. So I feel like I could have cleaned house one shilling at a time in England. All right, I learned that a teacher is the reason everything got ruined. Oh, he just kind of brought people there. It was already being ruined. Come on, teachers. You know better. You know better. Don't turn places into tourist attractions. Don't ruin sacred sites. Anything right. else today? I think that's it. All right, and, and class, class dismissed. dismissed.